Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. If you are just popping in this morning, if this is your first time here, you missed out on a few weeks of church, uh, we are doing this series called Catching Breath. Uh, we are looking to uh, reframe and rediscover uh, sort of spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices, things that would take us deeper into our relationship with God, things that would help us find uh, greater anchoring in uh, our sense of, of our place within God's story. Like That's what we've been looking to do. And so if you've missed any of it, you can head to our website. Uh, you can just go svc.org.nz slash catching breath. We've got all of our sermons there. Um, and part of this series as well uh, is I've been putting out these, these weekly uh, guided prayer uh, meditations. So just, just working with scripture, um, just doing these little like reflections where we just work through a text and we just let God minister to us through the word. And so uh, it's really, it's been a big invitation to just go, hey, what are the things that we are doing intentionally within the scope of our life um, to just draw closer? And to just discover something deeper and uh, maybe in a way that we haven't even been able to uh, just quite before. And so this morning, uh, I want to talk to you about Sabbath. And uh, we're also going to be going, uh, going into the topic as well tonight. I, I just want to kind of preface it by saying this, is that for me, this, uh, this is where the whole catching breath idea even came from. Um, I think that there is something about Sabbath that the world needs to know about, that the church needs to start thinking about. Because in our anxiety-driven, busyness-glamorizing, commodity-accumulating and consuming world, I personally believe that Sabbath is one of the most legitimate things that the church can offer the world in the next 20 years. I think if the spirit of the age is telling us anything, it's that, it's that people are hurting, they're, 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 they're kind of groaning under the stress of life. And one of the things that the church can legit, legitimately offer is rest in the presence of God and a rediscovery of our identity and our purpose in Him and His story. That is why I think Sabbath is a significant thing to be talking about. And to be honest, I think we could do a whole series on it. But we're not. We're going to be looking just at two different areas of Sabbath today. Um, it's a strange thing as well because it's it's not something I don't think I don't think in, in sort of ten years working for the church I've ever done a, a sermon on Sabbath before. But I can tell you something that for the last eighteen months Sabbath has been this thing that's kind of been percolating and bouncing around in my life. And I've got to say this: it's not like I've been nailing Sabbath for the last eighteen months. In fact, just this over the last few weeks, you know, Georgia and I we've like we've sold a house, we've bought another house, we moved out yesterday. I'm like shattered. And on top of it, I'm like writing two messages ironically on Sabbath when it's like, man, I honestly haven't had a day off in like two weeks. But I'll tell you what, it's, it's, it's that, uh, is that it has been this ongoing thing. It is this thing that I am growing in. And, and my deep conviction and my deep sense is that, is that this is something that God is calling not just me to, but actually something the whole church to. And it's not just about trying to reclaim the things of yesteryear or what was going on in the 80s. It's like, this is something that the world needs now, and it's something that we can legitimately offer. But we have to make serious inquiries of ourselves um, and, and, and begin to press into this in a new way. 
So this morning, what I want to look at is this whole idea of Sabbath as restoration. Um, It's going to be something of an appeal to the Adamic self, or in other words, uh, our sense of identity and purpose in God. Just like we see in the Genesis creation narrative, we see Adam uh, as the divine image bearer. Adam and Eve as the divine image bearers called to walk in relationship with God, to mirror the image of God, and and to tend to the world and exist in the world within a particular way. And so I want to make a little bit of an appeal towards that. This evening, um, I'm going to talk about Sabbath as a form of resistance. Um, and that will be an appeal to what I call the mosaic self, or, or just looking at a little bit more at the Exodus story, which in other words, is our sense of how we relate to what happens in the world around us. And so that's what we're looking to do a little bit today as we explore this thing of Sabbath. So... Oh, this is what Walter Brueggemann just says about Sabbath as well. Sabbath becomes um, a decisive, concrete, visible way of opting for and aligning with the God of rest. This is what we're trying to do when we talk uh, about Sabbath and when we begin to practice Sabbath in our lives. And so... What is Sabbath? I just want to explore a little bit, set the scene a little bit, uh, and just and just look at where it comes from. We see, just like I said in this in this uh, in, in the very first uh, verse that I used at the beginning, Genesis two verses one to three, we see that God has created and then steps back for a moment to take delight in the work that He has done. This is a God who rests. Now, this is a really important thing for us to be aware of. This, uh, the whole Genesis story first sort of comes to light or is sort of collected and, and, and sort of brought before the people of Israel in the wake of their time in Egypt. And we see this come through in Exodus 20 verses 1 to 7. I'm just going to fire through bits and pieces of this really quick. But, but God says, you are going to be my people and you are going to live in a certain way. And there are a bunch of commands that I would like you to live by. And so if you've got your Bibles, you can go to Exodus 20, and I'm going to fire through some of these. But just starting in, um, in verse 3, God says this, You know, you shall have no other gods before me. And then in verse 4, he says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image, or you will not make images of a god, or you will not make idols, or whatever your, your version of the Bible says. You will not make other images. Why do you think this is? Oh, it's because actually... Humanity is to be the image bearer of God, not a carved piece of stone, but you yourself. Humanity are to be the image bearers, the divine reflection of the creator God. So you will not make, uh, firing through to verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Okay, so we don't want to use Lord's God's name in vain. Then we come to verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Skipping ahead, we come to verse 12. Honor your father and mother. 13, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. That's finishing in verse 17. So just firing through Exodus 20 really quickly. God sets these commands. This is what you will live like and look like. And if you live by these things, you will be uh, a reflection of what I want humanity to look like. You will embody these things. Now, there's, a, there's a, a very interesting structure here. The first three commandments directly relate to uh, how humanity are to interact with God or to think of God. They, they, they pertain to God himself. The last six are uh, in relation to how, how we act towards other people, how we engage with the world around us. And then there's the fourth one. 
which sort of serves as something of a bridging commandment. And what's interesting is that it's the only spiritual practice that is commanded. Not prayer, not fasting, not liturgy, not worship, not cooking, like not, not anything else. The only commandment, the only spiritual practice that is commanded is to keep the Sabbath day holy. I once heard this like really challenging thing where a pastor said, you know what's really interesting about my job is that I could break any of the commandments, right? And for some of them, I would lose my job. And for others of them, I would go to jail. But if I break the commandment about Sabbath, my church would give me a raise. Oh, yeah. That was like deeply challenging because every single one of those other things, if I broke them, it could be grounds for me losing my job or definitely going to jail. But if I break the Sabbath day, my church might give me a raise because I just work so hard. But what that says to us is that there's something disconnected. There's something out of order. There's something not quite right there. And so we need to pay attention to it and to begin to ask ourselves some questions about it. And so I want to just go back into Exodus 20 a little bit and just look at a little bit more at what is, ex is expanded on around that fourth commandment. So uh, starting in verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Verse 9, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day, verse 10, uh, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the foreigner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So there is this direct sort of pointing back to Genesis 2 verses 1 to 3. We see it right in the middle. So it's like they're going through all these commandments and then it's like, and then there's this thing that you're supposed to do. Why? Because it's the way God did things. When God created, he also sat back and rested. And so you are to same thing. You are to embody that same rhythm. <clears throat> uh, Walter Brueggemann goes on to say this. Oh, I've completely missed it. Lost a slide, eh? Um, <clears throat> the divine rest on the seventh day of creation has made clear that A, that Yahweh is not a workaholic, B, that Yahweh is not anxious about the full functioning of creation, and C, that the well-being of creation does not depend on endless work. So Yahweh, the creator God, he's not a workaholic. He doesn't just work 24-7. He's not completely occupied with those things. Um, it shows that God is not anxious about the full functioning of creation. It's not like, oh, we've got to be productive with every little bit of time. No, God is not like that. And that the well-being of creation does not depend on endless work. Right? The well-being of something, the health of something, doesn't require just constant going after it. No, it's like rest can be incorporated into the rhythm. This is a good thing to be about. So here's the thing. As followers of Jesus, as followers of this Yahweh story, our roots as Christians are in this tradition. These are things that we need to be having conversations about because they have sort of echoed through all of history. 
These are things we have to pay attention to. It must be, in my opinion, our deep-held belief that if we follow this God, then we are to live in a manner that reflects a desire to serve the God of restfulness and not the God of restlessness. And, you know, we can see even just a little sample of this when we see Jesus um, talking about um, the idea of mammon. In Matthew 6, uh, 24, it says this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, but the word money is, is actually the word mammon. Mammon is, is more like, a, it's like the pursuit of, of stuff. It's about accumulating. It's about never not having quite enough. It's a striving for excess. Does that sound maybe a little bit like some of the things we struggle with within our current cultural context? Does it feel like the world is obsessed with more? Yeah? Does it feel like things are just like never quite enough? And you can feel that there's like a cultural anxiety that kind of permeates through all of society. You can feel that. And that is serving a God of restlessness. And I think the deeply convicting thing is that because we're not just Christians, but we're also Westerners and we exist within a Western framework, how often are we inadvertently sucked into serving the God of restlessness rather than the God of restfulness? How often does that happen if we're honest with ourselves? Because I can testify to like what things have been like the last two weeks for me. And it's like, oh man, I just get sucked into that all over again. No one can serve two masters. That's what Jesus says. So when we follow the God of restlessness, when, when mammon becomes the thing we're about, when we, when we try and participate, sort of keep pace with what's happening in the world around us, I think there are some things that begin to happen. Um, I think that we end up with a damaged environment. We end up with a damaged... Uh, so, so, I mean, you only need to like, look at the things that are happening on our planet at the moment. You, you look at what's happening with the oceans, how, how quickly they're depleting. You look at how it's becoming harder and harder for farms to produce crops because they're putting fertilizer uh, on it year after year after year and they have to use more and more chemicals to force their crops to produce. It's like, you know, our, our earth is groaning and hurting as a result of this, of this pursuit of mammon. It's like, it's like even the structure of like companies listed on the stock market, it's like they have to report to their shareholders. And what they have to report, what the pressure is to report, is that you know this quarter we've yielded a, a larger profit than the last quarter. And so it's just like this infinite pursuit of more and more. It's like how, you know, how does Apple, you know, how, do they, how do they just keep making more and more money and more and more iPads? It's like, how, how long they, can they continue to be driven by that model? And what happens is that, is that there has to be a cost somewhere along the line. And so the pursuit of mammon ends up in a damaged and hurting environment. And our earth is hurting at the moment, which I think is a deep shame. And I, mean, I meet Christians who like don't care because they think we're going to get sucked away at some point. And like, it's just, oh, no, God will fix it. And it's like, man, if you actually take some of the scriptures seriously, it's like, Humanity was called to tend the garden. We had a responsibility to creation. We were called to steward it well, to have dominion over it, to care for it. 
That was the vocation of humanity. And so the pursuit of mammon means we aren't living in line with that call or that vocation. We end up with a damaged environment. We end up with damaged uh, social and economic order. So things just begin to seem out of kilter, and it's like we see it in our own world, rising rates of like income inequality, the gap between the rich and the poor, wider and wider and wider. We're becoming more, you know, and I've spoken about before, we're more connected than ever through social media, and yet actually we're, we're effectively experiencing an epidemic of loneliness in our culture. There's a, there's a, there's a damage and a hurt that's being experienced in our social and economic... And there's damage, and, and when we pursue the God of mammon, when we're following the God of restlessness, we also find that individuals themselves are damaged. So it's not just environments, and it's not just a social or economic order. We end up with damaged individuals. People who are hurting, who are striving. It's like, you know, we've spoken about some of these things already within the series. It's like, you know, never before have we seen the, the sort of heights of, of mental health affecting people the way they are. Um, it, it's like a very real and a very deep hurt that people are experiencing on an individual level. Uh, Walter Brueggemann goes on to say this, uh, the environment is savaged by such restlessness, the ordering of creation is skewed perhaps beyond viability. It is long since forgotten that rest is the final marking of creator and creation. So it's like when we exist in this pursuit of mammon, we, we, we forget that this whole thing of story, it was kind of capped off, this creation story, it was, it was signed off with a God who rests and takes delight in what he does. It's like we... We forget that. Our vocation as humans, as those made in the image of a creator God, is to embody creativity within creation. And that vocation, that call in our lives, is corrupted when mammon becomes the God that we serve. When restlessness becomes our default mode of being, rather than to pursue the God of restfulness. When we can reconnect with that, and when we, when we can begin to rediscover and implement rhythms that move us towards pursuing the God of restfulness, we begin to see some things shift back into place. We begin to see a sustained and nourished creation. So there are, there are already, interestingly, there are like farms who are like employing these, these old ways. And you know, there, are, there are people who are letting, letting their crops lay every seventh year. It's like, oh, revolutionary idea. If we let the earth rest, it can actually do things. Funny how like that was being spoken about in the Torah, you know? Let the land lie. Let it rest. Give itself a chance to recuperate. This has been, this has been baked into the fabric of creation. Um, so we see that when there's space for rest given, when we follow the God of restfulness, there's a sustained and nourished creation. There is a redeemed and engaged social order. Because the interesting thing about rest or about stopping or about pausing is it creates space for us to enter into dialogue with others. It actually creates an energy where we can say to the other person, how are you doing? And, and mean it. And not just say, good, good, busy, busy, and go about your day. But to actually go, hey, what's going on in your life? Oh, it's actually been a really hard week. Oh, tell me about it. Those kinds of conversations don't happen when we are existing in a restless space. 
So we, we find a redeemed and engaged social order. And I think when we're following the God of restfulness, we, re, we move towards becoming whole and flourishing individuals because we begin to sort of fall into, fall into place, fall into step with the way of God. That is what it looks like to follow the God of restfulness. And so when we come to something like the commandments and we see in the order of it, number four, right in the middle, that there is this bridge, there is this commandment to embody a certain practice. Why? Because it's the way God has intended it. It's the thing that God did. And you are a divine image bearer and you are to live and move and, and, and sort of live in a way that, that embodies that. When we see something like that, we should, we should be asking ourselves some hard questions about it. And we should be looking to find ways of discovering that in our own lives. And so, with that in mind, what then does Sabbath look like? Well, sort of within the Jewish tradition, and, and some of you guys will be familiar with this, but, but normally... Normally, practically, it sort of starts on Friday night, a couple of minutes before sunset. Normally, uh, normally within, within the family space, within the home, uh, there, are, there are two uh, candles that are, lit, that, that are lit just before sunset on Friday. And this time of Sabbath goes from Friday night through until Saturday night. You know? so, so say roughly from 6 o'clock on Friday night through to 6 o'clock on Saturday night. During this time, there are three meals or feasts. So there's a lot of time spent around the table, enjoying good food and good drink and good people. Um, and it's a really beautiful thing. Um, there is these, uh, in regards to Sabbath, there are, there are two particular things that, that are really focused on in the Jewish tradition, um, which is to, uh, the, in particular, observing the Sabbath, um, which means to just kind of refrain from, from any, kind of, any kind of activity. So it's like, you know, all of the prep, all of the, all the stuff, food and stuff like that, that's all done on Friday. You clean the house, you do all that kind of thing. All that kind of stuff is done before you light those candles. Um, and so you observe it and then you remember and so during this time of sabbath there are words there are thoughts there are actions that there are prayers that you do to remember who god is so that you can remember who you are in god and that is sort of practically how sabbath looks i guess on a week to week basis sabbath itself is a highly relaxing time it's a highly restorative time, and it's a highly relational time. Just practically, it's this, it's this one day a week which people are, are wholly present to each other, where, tool, where the tools are downed, and there, there is the sense of being able to sit back and look at life and go, it is good. It is good. Now, I'm not... And I, I'm not here to sort of say, okay, guys, and so from this Friday, you know, you're leaving here with two candles. You light one to remember you're observing and one to remember that you're remembering. And, you know, from now on, it's just what we do every Friday. Of course you can do that. I think that that is a rich and beautiful and wonderful way to practice. It's like Georgia and I have, like, tried it a couple times. And, uh, you know, it's like... I don't know, it's, it's like we're trying to figure out what it is for us. What I do want to do is ask you guys to think deeply about what Sabbath could look like for you. Oh, but Calvin, we've got, we've got kids' sports games on. Uh, uh. I'm asking you to think about it. Oh, no, but I just have all these emails that are coming. No, 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 but I'm just asking you to like think about it. I'm not trying to like impose something on you. I'm just saying that I think this is a serious thing we, we should be thinking about. 
And if you're just coming up with excuses, then you're not thinking creatively enough about how you enfold it into the rhythm of family life and how you discover the richness and the beauty and the goodness of something like this. So what could Sabbath look like for you? Well, once again, not going to impose anything on you, but I think Sabbath must at least do a few things, right? The first is that there must be a meaningful disconnection from your sense of productivity, okay? There must be a meaningful disconnection from your sense of productivity, your desire and your sort of incessant need to work, right? So for me, there are a few things, okay? Over the last 18 months, I've stopped responding to emails. So I'm really sorry for everyone who sent me an email on a Saturday lately going, hey, Calvin, what are we doing for church tomorrow? Tough luck, guys. Email me before Saturday. You know, so I've stopped answering emails. Um, I have, uh, I've actually stopped wearing my Apple Watch because um, <clears throat> I think I might have spoken about this a few weeks ago, but, but basically, like, this watch is connected to my phone, and every time I get an email or a text or a Facebook message or something, it just, like, taps me and notifies me, and it's like I'm, I just have to be connected to people, like, all the time. So on Saturdays, it's like I just stopped wearing the watch. It's like I'm not going to do that. I, I try and leave my phone off. The hard thing for me is, like, I enjoy watching sport and stuff like that. So it's like often on a Saturday morning, I'll just, like, wake up and I'll watch a little bit of golf or something. And, um, <clears throat> and so, but, you know, I'll watch it on my phone. Um, but, but really for me, like one of the pushes I've been trying to do is, is I'd love to move towards a point where like for me, tech's like not even on the table during Sabbath. It's like I just want to be disconnected digitally. But as much as possible, it's like I'm just trying to avoid all forms of work. You know, we try and get even all of our cleaning and stuff done out of the way so that on Saturday... Georgia and I, it's like we just get to spend our time together and we get to be present to um, the people that we love and just, and just kind of enjoying life as much as possible. Um, the second thing is that I think that there needs to be an embodied sense of celebration, um, a sense of presence and of delight to that which is good and rich, and beautiful, and so for me, I think, I, you know, often on Sabbath, like, I, I enjoy playing sport with my friends, like, it's, it's like, that's a good thing for me, it's a life-giving thing, so I try and play some sport, I love good food, and good drink, and so, like, we love having friends around, um, so we, you know, we gather together the people who give us life, and we, we eat food with them, and we drink with them, and we talk, and we laugh, and it's wonderful, and it's beautiful, um, you know, we, we try and go for walks sometimes. And so even just like walking around our neighborhood with our dog, it's like, it's like we're just so present to, to just what the day is. And we're just trying to, just trying to take delight in, in what creation is and who God is and, and the things God is doing in our lives. And so there's an intentional sense, an embodied sense of celebration in how we do Sabbath. And then I think that there has to be a meaningful reconnection with the reality that you are a divine image bearer, that you are not just someone who is meant to produce, that you are not just someone who is meant to work, that you're not just someone who is meant to cook dinners for the family all the time, um, that you're not just someone who has to answer emails. It's like there has to be, there has to be some sort of re, uh, reconnection with the idea that you are in God. And that the original vocation and call on humanity has not changed. It is that you are a divine image bearer called to walk and move in relationship with God. And so a huge part of all that other stuff, the, the, the disconnection and then moving into that thing of celebration is always accompanied with just a, just a, like what I would call like a prayerful awareness 
that God is with you. And so it just means that by the time I come to Monday or, or Sundays or whatever, it's like a, I'm arriving just, just with the tank a bit full and with a deep confidence in sort of who I am in Christ, who I am in God, what my place is within God's story. That doesn't come from just doing and doing and doing and doing and doing. It comes from creating spaces where I can just be with God and be a bit more present to the story. And so these are things that if you can, if you can find out what these look like for you, if you can figure out what disconnection and celebration and reconnection looks like, then suddenly you're going to be discovering some of the benefits of what Sabbath can hold for you. You're going to discover this wonderfully beautiful and restorative thing to which we have been called and invited to discover some sense of life in. In Sabbath, in the practice of Sabbath, we observe and remember who God is. We observe and remember that this God rests. We observe and we remember that this is the God who redeems and restores. We observe and we remember that this is the God who loves and that this is the God who has a, a deep desire and a longing to see us move in rhythm and in tandem with him. This is the joy of Sabbath. And I'm, I'm deadly serious when I, when I say this is something that I feel like the, 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 the church as, as a whole is lacking. And that this is going to be, if, if we can begin to like grow in it, and this is going to be one of the most legitimate things we can begin to offer the world. And I think the thing that arises out of a healthy practice of Sabbath is you become that much more connected to the things that you're grateful for. I love that Vic this morning just gave that space. And I just loved hearing the different things that people were thankful for. You know, like, wasn't that special? And the thing is, is when you work seven days a week or when you're just in your mind, when you're just busy seven days a week, those things fly by you. But Sabbath keeps you anchored in gratitude. Which is a beautiful segue to communion. Because I think the moment of, giving, of the giving of bread, the moment of Eucharist, the moment of communion, is itself, the, it's the same as the central idea of Sabbath. It's this idea of receiving something as a gift from God. It's an idea of receiving something in gratitude. It's a, it's a, it's a, it is a practice and an embodied sense of gratitude. You know, Eucharist is literally a ritual that's called thanks. You know? Sabbath anchors us in that gratitude, anchors us in that sense of thanks, And so we are incredibly grateful. And we are called to be anchored in that gratitude. So what I want to do is, as we, as we finish today, I want, to, I want to just create a space for us to take communion. And I would just love us to treat communion this morning or to see communion this morning as like a tiny little, like a little Sabbath moment. Sabbath is not a chore or a nice idea. It's a gift from the God of rest who through Jesus invites us to live as embodied and creative image bearers. And when we take communion, we reconnect with that story. 
we reconnect with who we are in God. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast. 